Episode 1, Part 1. We decided to open up the podcast by looking back at the decade that was, 2010 to 2019. We're now coming into 2020, so we thought we'd look back at the last 10 years. What an incredible 10 years for club rugby. So much happening, so much to talk about. Before we do that, just a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Modus Operandi Brewing, located up in Mona Vale. If you're looking for an afternoon, enjoy a few craft beers. There is no place better than heading up to Modus. And thank you to them for their support of this show. So let's get on with it, guys. So much to talk about. This is Shootcast. Well, a decade is a long time, and uh, it's a long time to try and cram into one podcast, but I'm going to do my best. Thankfully, I am not alone. Joining me uh, for the podcast today is Paul Cook, Chief Commander in Charge of Behind the Ruck, one of the Shoot Shield Foremost Rugby Publications. Cookie, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks, Berger. Nice to be aboard. I've been pestering you to do this podcast for the better part of the last year, but uh, you've had an indifferent start to the Shoot Shield. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with the competition and arriving in Sydney and somewhat stumbling across the wonderful Shoot Shield. Yeah, okay. Well, I, uh, I moved over to Australia in 2004, knew about the Waratah, Super Rugby, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't until about 2006, 2007, I actually caught a game, a Shoot Shield game on ABC, and I had no idea what it was, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it uh, filled, a, filled a nice gap because Super Rugby was only about Super 12 then, and it was a shorter season, so I just clocked onto it, wondered what it was, try to find out where the teams were. And it was actually good for me. as a good way of sort of finding my way around Sydney because I hadn't been here that long. And I uh, found myself trekking out to, I think, North Sydney Oval, what was the first place I went to, and um, just kind of grew from there. And then I started following that almost as much as Super Rugby, and then that gradually kind of took over. My focus really became on grassroots footy because I just just loved it going around. you got the families there. you got guys having snags and beers and, uh, and just seeing potentially the next generation. So it's really become something I've, I enjoy a lot. Absolutely, mate. And it was a good ground to start there at North Sydney Oval. And as you say, you've been covering the competition now for many years, very intently. You're one of the uh, longest reads in Shoot Shield history, I'm sure. You love a detailed article. And I know everyone in Shoot Shield uh, land appreciates all your pieces, all through the grades, especially through grand final day. You're there early covering fourth grade through to first grade. I think I've given you a fourth grade uh, post-game chat. But, you, um, you did, mate. You were, sli- well, you were slightly sober, yeah. Slightly sober at that slightly stage, sober. Yeah. 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 It all went downhill after that, unfortunately. I'm not sure if everybody appreciates the longer read, but there's a niche market. That's what I'm going for, the niche. Well, you got a fan in me, mate, and, Thanks, and that's mate. what we are, two fans <laughs> shooting the breeze about the shoot shield, and, and that's that's all we uh, pretend to be, and uh, hopefully everyone here enjoys the show, but we're going to try and dive straight into this decade because there is a lot to get through. So 10 years, Cookie, um, we're going to talk mainly the upper echelon of the shoot shield. That's uh, obviously first grade in the premier competition. We had... Ten premiers. Uni came away with five, Eastwood with three, Norse one, and Ringer one. Uni winning 2010 against Ramwick, Woods 2011 against Uni. Uni again against South 2012, Uni against the Woods in 2013. Uh, Woods then had a back-to-back era, 2014-2015 against South and Manly. 
Norse with an incredible out-of-nowhere type run and then became a very dominant force. They won their 2016 competition against Sydney University. Ringer with a highly memorable grand final win against Norse, who made the grand final again. And then Uni back with a vengeance, 2018-19, both wins over Ringer. But certainly from that early era, um, two clubs uh, dominated the competition, which was obviously Sydney University, which in 2010 won their sixth premiership in a row by my calculations. And the other club that uh, obviously was a big part of that rivalry was obviously Eastwood. Um, two obviously different sort of a clubs. But you'd have to say Eastwood, um, maybe more than any other club throughout the era, maybe Ringer in this sort of later part is one of those clubs that were able to really match uni um, throughout their sort of dominant reign. And it was a, a terrific rivalry early on in the 2010s, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was that sort of transitional period. If you look at the decade before, uni had really had that dominance since 2005. So you said they'd won five in a row. 2010 was their sixth, and I think... Uh, we'll get, probably get onto that more later on, but that that dominance, um, somebody needs to kind of break that probably for the good of the competition, just to keep everyone mm. a little bit more interested at that time. If you weren't a Sydney, absolutely. Um, and Eastwood yeah. were the guys that broke out of the box and did it um, through some pretty smart, shrewd uh, management there, and the, the, the way they ran the club under uh, the general manager Rob Frost. And getting, I mean, Billy Melrose, Brian Billy Melrose was the head coach there for a couple of years and laid down some groundworks. And then John Menenti picked up the mantle and ran with it. And boy, did he do a good job. Yeah, he did a wonderful job. And you're right, they always had that strong leadership on and off the field and uh, that's yielded them so much success. Um, They pretty much went tit for tat. I think there was one year, did you check on that? I did set you some homework this week. That (laughs) year that Uni and Eastwood played in every grade in the grand final day, I forget. 2013. 2013. 2013. Yeah. I think it's the only time that's happened. Was it Colts as well? Since the 1930s. I'm not sure it was Colts as well. Definitely great. Which was Uni definitely played every Colts game. No, I think, I think I think Uni played East in one of the Colts games that year. But yeah, definitely definitely all four great with just two teams. Mm, mm, mm. The 2011 grand final was a, a really good game from memory. I mean, I know 2010 Uni obliterated Ramwick. I think something mm. like 43 to six. And then they uh, had a win over South, and then 2013, another bit of a blowout score. There's a bit of heat after that game online, I remember. Uni's dominance coming back, but... Uh, I'm sure you yeah, do. Uni, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, um, no, a terrific rivalry nonetheless. I guess two of the other teams that started to emerge um, after sort of the Eastwood Uni tit for tat were Manly and um, Southern Districts. Obviously, South um, appearing in two grand finals, 2012, and then towards the end of um, Eastwood's run in 2015, 20, they beat Manly 2014. as well. Yeah. 2014 South, 2012 yeah, yeah. and 2014 South yeah. appeared in the grand final. So two appearances in the grand final, and then Manly um, appeared in the 2015 grand final. But it was the last year of uh, Concord Oval hosting the grand final, and then the decision was made to uh, take the grand final to North Sydney Oval and weren't we just treated with two of the best grand finals from memory? I guess the occasion um, was just so special with, with the turnover of the crowds, um, but you had a team like Norse, I forget how big a premiership drought they were on, was it 50-odd years or close to 50 years? Uh, and 1975, then up, I think. 1975, yeah, there you go. And then backed up by incredible premiership by Ringer the year later. It was just a special time for rugby. I think it was a... A masterstroke move by the powers that be at the SOU at the time and, and Club Rugby TV for their um, forward thinking in, in changing it up. 
and it was really uh, met really well with the Australian rugby public, and it put Shoot Shield back on the map so much. So I think you know it's been we've been thrust into these latest broadcast discussions for for, for epic days like that um, is what what really put us on the map. What are your some of your reflections over that period at North Sydney Oval that we've been treated to? Well, I think it's it's. If you look back at Concord Oval, Concord Oval has been in a fantastic ground. It's currently undergoing reconstruction. But you look at the history of that place from the, the World Cup, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, it was, it, was a, you know, it was an obvious place to hold finals. But I think that the attention seemed to wane year upon year and there seemed to be less and less people coming out there. Apart from 2011, I remember pretty much everyone from Eastwood turned up, which was fantastic. But just shifting that yep. balance into the city where that made it more accessible to more people, uh, whether people want to go because it's an iconic oval. I think we're also lucky that there were probably five or six teams involved in all four grades in 2016. Mm. And, of course, North with the drought and then getting there, having been finished 11th two years before, and that turnaround under Simon Crant. I mean, just to turn up on that day was was electric. To be sitting up in the old uh, – one of the old pylons there, the media uh, corner, it's up, it's up on one of the posts up in the corner, it sways in the breeze and you're just looking down at thousands of people. The beer queues must have been horrendous. But yeah. just the atmosphere in the crowd for a whole day, it was like it, it felt like club rugby had really arrived again or had its second – you know, another, another – uh, come back around again. A rebirth. A yeah. rebirth, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah, but it's. I think it also built in time with it, everyone was trying to get back into tribalism, super rugby, maybe the interest had waned a little bit of that in, in the Wallabies, and everyone started to just it coincided that Club Rugby TV coming on board and the decision to go there with SRU just happened to, was a happy coincidence that people were just buying back into Club Rugby and the crowds you, you just rocked, took up in their droves. It's fantastic. Yeah, I have to say, when I first heard the news, I was a typical grumpy rival and uh, was a bit cranky that Norse potentially were going to get a home grand final, and sure enough, they did. But <laughs> as you um, took part in the day and saw the crowd uh, unfolding and, and what it meant, I got rid of that philosophy pretty quickly, and it was just unbelievable. And uh, it it really was the carrot for me that sparked um, – more competition than Shoot Shield going from a big four club to a big six to a big eight. You know, clubs like Gordon East really pushing hard now along with some of the more mainstays. Um, it's just watching those grand finals, 2016 and then 2017, as hard as it was for a Manly fan to watch 2017, um, it was just the carrot and the motivation to I want a part of that because you saw the emotion, you saw the connection throughout the whole club, the community, the festival of rugby, the exposure. It was just that carrot that we all wanted to get working, um, work towards. And I think that was the impetus for a lot of clubs. Well, we want a piece of that. Why can't we do that? And I think the Norse Premiership and then the Ringer Premiership made a lot of clubs believe, you know, we, we, it's not, it's within our grasp. But Why not us? I guess, uh, I guess there was a sleeping giant at play, which was Sydney University, which struck back pretty quickly um, in 2018 and 2019 and two really comprehensive wins. I mean, 2018, um, obviously, uh, Rob Taylor, a newish coach on the Shoot Shield scene, um, coming through the Colts program and delivering a bunch of young guys into grade, probably the youngest intake of, you know, into a first grade side I'd seen in, in a while. Mm. Um, but... Um, could clearly cut the mustard at first grade level and an unbelievable premiership there um, in 20, 2018 and then backed it up in 29. Oh, much tighter occasion, but 
at Bankwest Stadium. Mm. <laughs> Your thoughts on uh, university the last couple of seasons? Well, you have to admire them. Like you say, you, you poked the bear. Everybody else poked the bear and they came back and bit quite hard. But 2017 was the first time uni haven't made finals in nearly 20 years, I think. Um, maybe yep. 17 years, something like that. The top first of my head. time they dipped out of the finals all yeah. decade? Oh, but certainly. And it was probably many... since the early 2000s, I think. No team made all finals last decade, correct? No. Everyone had a dip. Manly yeah. had a dip once. Uni had a dip. Eastwood's had a dip. Randwick were there in 2010. Southwood were there twice. Probably early 2010s would have had a dip or two. Um, yeah. Yeah, they uh, they really they really did bite back really hard. It's interesting looking at the minor premierships. Eastwood won four in a row. University three and Manly three. Another stab to the heart of the Marlins. Well, that's the thing. That shows the level of consistency across the season. But there's various yeah. reasons for that. Maybe just certainly in 2017, I thought you probably looked the goods throughout the season and just absolutely piled by injuries. Yeah. So you've uh, beat me to it. I've been collecting um, Shoot Shield Ladders since 2010, doing my best at internet surfing Got to about eight out of ten. Could not find thirteen, twelve. I've trawled the internet everywhere. You have connections in higher places, and you have compiled the regular season table. Correct? Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, what I have is a dusty old box of <laughs> rugby news issues I used to buy every week. That it took me a while to find, but I have got them all, thankfully. Because um, yep. I knew this day would come. Obviously, Burjo, this is definitely. And me being a bit of a yes. stats nerd, I do like to check out who's doing this, what, where. That's why you're here, mate. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, put that all together. Do you want to go through in reverse order or start from the top? Where do you want to go? Uh, let's go uh, reverse order. Okay. Well, it's probably no surprise that the guys from the foot of the mountains, Penrith, finished 12th, especially considering that uh, they were removed from the competition, shall we say, about four rounds into 2018. Um, yep. Second from bottom, you've got Parramatta. Just before we move on, what was yeah. Penrith beat Ramwick one year, did they not? Was it in that decade? At Coogee? I remember the news coming in because I was giving the speeches as club captain doing round the grounds, and the scoreline came in that Penrith had beaten Ramwick at Coogee, and there was just the almighty yell in the club. But uh, I don't know if it was that era or not, but, yeah, there's a big caveat on Penrith, obviously. I think they did. I remember they beat, they beat South at South mm. in about 2012 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they only they actually racked up thirteen wins in effectively nine and a half seasons or eight and a half seasons. Mm. So mm. Um, that kind of tells Tough its own times. tale and conceded seven thousand well, eight hundred fifteen points. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Penrith exiting the competition a, a couple of years ago, which is very sad because we all have fond memories of Penrith and playing out there. I remember playing Henry Schaaf one afternoon. That's an experience. He was probably in his mid-40s, but still terrifying. Uh, I remember in his late 90s heyday, he was could have been anything. I think a lot of people in Shoot Shield probably thought he could have gone all the way. And uh, Everyone loved the Emu Berg and everyone loved the bus trip at Penrith and, yeah. and very hospitable people. And I know that they're going to get some rugby, I believe, in the sub-districts next year, which is terrific. And certainly, hopefully, the olive branch is still extended from Sydney Rugby. But we'll keep pushing up the ladder. We'll keep pushing up. Yeah, kudos to Penrith, though, because they, they, were, they were fighting against the odds for a long time. And there was, they had a two, yeah. two or three wins there. Um, or they had one year and they won five under Matt Briggs, which was particularly good. But Parramatta, um, they had some fallow years. 
Mm. And toward the end of last decade, they were struggling. There was even a chance of them folding. And then they turned around. They got a great Kiwi coach called Glenn Christini. And for a couple of years, they made their yep. first finals in about 17 years. I think they finished fifth um, yes, in about that, 2012, yeah. off the top of my head. Um, yep. But they, they, so they, they up and down the ladder, but they still they finished with 42 wins across the 10 years. So, so every other side, this is for the regular season only. This doesn't include finals football. Um, which is this, a different ball game, particularly for Manly fans game. and university fans. Yes, tell, tells a different yeah. story. So this is just your regular season ladder. So that so every other two, so Penrith played 168 games. Every other side's played 185 games in total over 10 years. Um, yep. Above Parramatta, we've got Gordon, who another side who actually finished the last decade in their pomp, made two semi-finals in a row, and then sort of traversed the other end of the ladder for a long time. M- must have under- been under the under the guidance of Dave Harvey at fly half, surely. Harves was at 10-15. They had Lockie Fear as coach, and they lost to Randwick two years in a row, I think 2008-2009. Um, did a fantastic job with what at the time was probably a bunch of no-names, but some some guys on Dan Haylett-Petty went on. Dave Harvey played a bit of footy there. Chris Alcock went on to play for the Tars and the Force, Bromby, etc. Yeah. Um, but they've had some fallow years, and now it looks like hopefully under, under Darren Coleman that um, they're starting to, get their act together again and be stronger. They just missed out on finals last year, so they seem to be heading in the right direction. But they, they finished they're a grand, ten- they're a, Yeah, they're a grand old club with a very, very proud history, a very, very successful one, and there's certainly a, um, a new sort of strategic direction there, on new president, uh, Matt Glascott's doing a great job and obviously he's got one of the best in the business with Darren leading the Stags around. So it be interesting to see um, how they fare um, this year, obviously after a terrific year last year coming from cellar dwellers to near finalists so mm. we watched what's happening at chatswood with eager eyes okay ninth the mighty pilots from concord over west harbour um again up and down I mean, they, they did make finals i think in 2013 and then they finished fifth um again a side on their day that can probably entertain more than others and mm. I've certainly had some great occasions out down at Concord over watching the footy fly around from, from coast to coast. If they can just lock that in with some defensive stability at times, you think they're never going to be that far away. Just getting that consistency across a, a whole season has been difficult for them. But um, they played playing... them in Manly 2017, last game before the finals at Concord. They were on an eight-game run maybe, maybe seven. Taylor Adams games, was just... How many? Oh, they put forty. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think we. I think it was one of those forty to thirty-eight type games, but just they were just untouchable. Once the offload game started coming in, but I think that was Adams was the can catch pop medalist that year. But they were just red hot. Shame they did miss the finals that year because they were coming in with some incredible yeah. momentum. And you're right, they've had you know some up and down periods, some periods where they're just going you know, really well and then, then some really inconsistent times as well. But they did hit some good form under Todd Loudon and um, yeah, it didn't didn't quite kick on. But yeah, they gave the competition a shake, that's for sure. Okay, eighth spot over the decade, maybe a bit of a surprise, but it's Eastern Suburbs. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that that's an underachievement by, by their standards or uh, their history. So um, uh, they're very, very tight between them and Ramwick, actually, the battle in the East. Ramwick finished seventh. There was only seven points in it during the regular season. Mm. But obviously in that time, Ramwick did make a final. Um, and East, again, has produced some wonderful players. 
over the last decade and played some very good footy, but had it probably dipped three or four years in the middle period there. And under Paulie yeah. Demopio now, they're just starting to come back up um, and really knocking on the door. And the squad they've had last year, and particularly looks like the season coming up, they should really be challenging again for a first title since oh, a long time. You probably know more than me, the 70s maybe? I can't remember the last time. Yeah, long time. 69, yeah, they're definitely – it's funny, it's sort of like the the decade started the Uni Eastwood thing and then sort of Manly South got in the act. Then it became quite a bit of a northern dominant comp with, with Ringer and North sort of coming through. I get the feeling that East certainly are on the bounce. You can't deny the calibre of player and the depth of player they have there. They'd be short odds again, I reckon, to win the second grade competition because I think they've won one out of the last two and they just have such an overflow of talent. they just got such good players. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, obviously um, they're expecting that to kick on to first grade and you, you've got to think it, that next year that's they've got to be one of the early contenders at this stage but uh, seemingly heading in the right direction under Paulie and, and John Murray who does a wonderful job at East. So uh, we also watch what's happening at Wallara next year and I'm sure it's going to, going to be a big season for the Beasties. Okay, just ahead of them, much to their chagrin, will be the Galloping Greens. Um, and again, if you compare that to the previous decade, that's most certainly for a club of their illustrious history, a downturn in fortunes, to be the seventh best team over a 10-year period. At the end of last the last decade, I think they played two or three grand finals in a row against Uni. 2010 was their last grand final, so they haven't reached that far since. I think they made a couple of semis. Um, but back even even about 2013, I think they finished third from bottom. So they had a lot of yeah. issues. They had a player drain. They shifted through some coaches, and I think it was their re-establishment with um, trying to follow the uni model a little bit with the, the, the links with UTS. Um, yeah, and and trying so to re-establish. Yeah, I mean their Colts program has been yeah. incredible. Um, you know, for the better part of the last five years and. I don't, it, it probably probably even more so, but it hasn't really transpired into grade one way or another. I mean, there's probably a few philosophies around why there's a lot of there's young real guns that you know churn straight into that super rugby thing and sped out the other side. It's terrific to see players like Kellaway now finally hitting his straps at professional level. But it's taken you know maybe a few years, and he got you know one of those kids that was clearly going to be a star, but but maybe got rushed through quite quickly but um now really really hitting the ground but uh maybe a little bit of that conversion not quite kicked on but you got to think that it's going to and uh you're right i mean it's hard with ramick and i will touch on the late great jeff sale later but the how big a club they were globally was absolutely staggering literally you know the backbone of wallaby World Cup wins, you know, it's it's must come with so much pressure and anticipation. Uh, uh, being a a Realmic player or or a coach, and you know, there's obviously a strong strong um, alumni that uh, you know that that people like Saley and all that represented, and, and everyone was obviously in awe of that era. But it's um, you know, I think Realmic by their own lofty expectation will be hoping that they're starting to push back up to the upper echelon of the competition and, and I'm sure next year will be hoping you put put that in the, in the right track. I think Benny McCormack's now the head coach down mm. there at Roundwick. Yeah, Morgan Churney is director of rugby. So yeah, uh, yeah. Two pretty switched on guys. Back. I think it's a shame yeah. if you look if you look at the the, the nearlies that the team that was fostered under I think DOR Nick Ryan and Shannon Fraser head coach for about three years Fraser, there, yeah. 15, 16, mm. 17, I mean, produced the Callaways and the twin brothers mm. of Nick. 
Uh, Andrew Deegan, Deegan. now we've seen is finally mm. getting the shouts with the Rebels. Yep. And Mitch Shaw, who's just played a couple of games for the Waratahs. A lot of really fine young players came through. And I think, I, I, I know from speaking to guys like Shannon Nick at the time, they felt it was a mess, missed opportunity. They, they groomed that side and they just yep. didn't get there. And that's may take a while to produce that, that generation again that's going to come through and take them towards it's the title. F- Fine balance, right? You get the creme de la creme young star. The chances of seeing them long term in the Shoot Shield are very limited. Where, yeah, it's a hard one because the Shoot Shield club probably the most successful ones have got those players that are the best players that aren't super rugby players. Eastwood probably mastered that art for a long time with, you know, players like Perrett. Um, you know, even though these guys had super rugby experience, maybe didn't go and have super professional careers and, and batch and those guys who came back later in their professional career. But that seems to be the the tonic to winning the thing. <laughs> That's it. And it, we'll move on to the top six. So we're, we're talking the top six teams of the decade based on the regular season performance and squeezing in at six is Northern Suburbs. Um, mm. Really off the back of, you'd have to say... Uh, 16 three, onwards. Yeah, three stellar years under Simon Croner, guy we both admire hugely. And again, we'll probably touch on at some point later. But um, from where they were, I think they finished 11th in twenty. 13, 2014 off the top of my head, 2014, I think. And then, yeah, their second last 2014. That's right, yeah. Uh, started climbing again 2015, eighth in 2015, and then. Yeah. And then finished and then third and then all the <laughs> way through. But they just hit their straps halfway through that season in 2016 under yeah. Simon Crine. Again, had a, a pool of talent there. Um, it was at Manly guys. Oval. I was there. They, went, they were down by 21 points. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. looking like Manly was going to coast to a win, and we had a very funny year that year after 2015, and they came back and won that game, and they didn't lose a match till round six or seven the next year at Manly Oval. They uh, won all that year, didn't lose a game, and just never looked back. And it was yeah, we'll touch on it later when we talk about. Cron and coaches, but yeah, staggering run out of nowhere, and yeah, really amazing to watch. They just became a dominant, dominant side. Well, fabulous to watch a team almost start from scratch, like when Crono came in, and just the mantra he's got about skill set and the, the, the little one percenters and the, the primers and all this. Just just to watch a guy, and I got to know him quite well over that period. To watch a guy work and the way he had the, the way he had those guys hanging off his every word and the attention to detail. And what he was putting into their heads, the intellectual property they were taking into each game and each training session was fascinating to watch and see that improvement mm. over two, mm. three years through the likes of Will Miller, Nick Palmer, Hugh Sinclair, Angus Sinclair, Harry Bury, like just just fantastic yeah. team that just and, and then that momentum they got on at the same time then it gets announced that it's North Sydney over was going to be the venue, like it was serendipity. I think it was just meant to be. It was, it was. And, th- and that was very much so evident from the outside looking in, the the fostering that culture within his playing group. Those guys became huge leaders for their club and, and still are the ones that are still there heading into this season. And there's been a fair bit of change there. Mm. But um, we move on. Okay, fifth, the Rats. Um, probably, again, a side I remember towards the end of the last decade, when you had a greater overlap with Super Rugby, that you were seeing guys like Sam Harris and Brett Sheehan uh, running around, Bo Robinson, um, and they were on the in or around the fringes of challenging for titles for, for two or three years, and they had a had a big drop off, um, sort of t- 11, 12, 13, when you had a lot of young players coming through. And I remember mm-hmm. those, talking to some of those guys now, like Hamish Angus, Dave Felchier, Sam Ward, 
they had those fallow times for a couple of years where they remember being beaten by Parramatta in TV games and stuff and finishing second or third from bottom, whatever it was. But then to see again a club, if you looked at one club that's built holistically over a decade to get to where they are now, where they've just reached three grand finals in a row, you'd probably give that tick to Warringah to see where they were. And then growing each year was like another box. Okay, we're going to get finished eighth. Next, we're going to finish top six. Then it's going to be top four. Then we're going to cement top four positions. Then we're going to get a semi. Then we're going to get a final. Then we're going to win one. And you saw that happen yeah. with pretty much the same group of players across a five, six, seven-year period. And that was fascinating to watch. And that's that's led to them being probably the most, one of the most consistent teams over the last three years and leaves them in fifth spot over the decade. I mean – Outside of the outlier, which is Sydney University, I've, I've got Eastwood and Ringer as the two most sort of consistently dominating clubs for you know rivaling that sort of that level. Um, as you and you're right, I mean, the start of the decade, Ringer weren't in terrific shape on and off the field, um, and just a slow and steady rise and a terrific rise, and just peaked at the right time. And I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail there, but yeah, it was. Great to watch. Difficult to watch for a Manly fan. I cannot argue that, but um, it was like a recurring nightmare for three years, but it's still going. But <laughs> no, we, we've got a great relationship with our neighbours down the healthy road. Rivalry. We cannot take It is a healthy rivalry. It's very healthy. It's the envy of the competition. We're going to that. Yeah. But um, no, amazing, amazing stuff and uh, what they've done in that period with you know those players and um, big shout-out to Phil Parsons, their long-suffering president who's done an incredible job, is now the SAU uh, chairman. But they've done an amazing job. The hillbillies, the whole thing, the whole feeling up there is, is pretty special. And yeah, it's a, they're a testament to the competition. They're doing, doing a great job. So we'll move on quickly. Okay, fourth. Souths, and we talk about a club rising like a phoenix from the yeah. flames. Again, I remember one of the first games I went to, probably about 2007, 2008, uh, down at Foreshore Park, and Souths had 55 put on them by Parramatta. And yeah. uh, they finished, I think, at least bottom or second from bottom two or three years in a row there. So the idea of even getting the TV cameras over Tom Ugly's Bridge down south back in those <laughs> days was, was, was anathema. So to see them mm. with the way they lifted through 2009, 2010, and they had some stalwart players come through. They had one of the biggest, most brutish teams I've oh, ever yeah. seen. We had Itavaya, Radiki Samo, the Timani brothers. Like, Timani's. Oh, God. They were huge. against Lopetti one day. It was scary. How long did you, in second did you grade, get up again? Got, I think oh, he was he's... coming back through an injury. No, I wasn't in first grade. No, no. I only yeah, played about on. five of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was – I don't know. that For some stupid reason, they decided to play him in second grade and um, I'm in the defensive line and he comes up and like, oh, forget that and just – no, I think he went straight. It's like two Elangi running out, isn't it? It's just, I don't want that. I don't want that. No, they were amazing. And that's, that's – I think 2010, 2011, they, had, they were purely built on power and then Cam Blades took yeah. over 2012 – a little bit of subtlety, an awful lot of skill, a lot of young players that are successful. In their second grade side, won the club's first ever uh, Shield second grade in 2011, was it? Uh, they had the likes of Alex Gibbon, Paul Asquith, Devet Ruse, um, yeah. Duncan Chubb, I think some of these guys, Ben Connolly, a lot of these guys kind of – A lot of them serving Apple, first graders after that. Exactly. Yeah. And they were very young yeah. at the time. And then 2012, they had some great footy, got the final push uni – all the way, they still argue got lost to, to a forward pass in the uh, in the twenty twelve yeah, final. Yeah, I remember that game. That was that. pretty tight. Got yep. there again in yep. twenty fourteen. Um, that day they were they were well taken care of by Eastwood. I think it's fair to say. 
Um, yeah. And they've been in and Huge around. Huge turnout the by the South Club on those grand final days. Great Massive. scenes outside the sheds at Concord. Yeah, the district yeah. boys definitely full up, but into it, it was it was awesome. I think it just goes to show when a, when a club hasn't had that that success or hasn't been in and around it for a while, when you do get to the big dance to see coach mm-hmm. loads. We've seen that with Norse. We've seen that Moringa. Um, it's just fantastic to get a fresh face on the big dance. Yeah, it is. And um, those, yeah. those guys have got two yeah. and two and three years. And they've yep. been in and around the mix. They played lots of semi-finals, and again, probably as we get to later, like mainly if, if you look at the consistency over the over the, de- the ten years, they're probably the two that have underachieved or not actually winning something. Oh, most definitely, the the two big underachievers of the decade for sure. And I, you know, going to foreshore still gives players a chill chore. It's just one of the hardest places to play because, you know, it's tough and. Uh, the locals are vocal. They're very strong supporters down there, but it's a terrific day out. The wonderful people down there at Foreshore, and yeah, like you say, it's just a it's a hard place to go. It makes makes hard people. That's for sure down there. And, and it blows we, down there. It blows enough of the water under the power lines. It does it's the so power line tricky. park? And <laughs> um, third, and this may be a surprise or, or not, because it does lead to another discussion. But Sydney University, the third most consistent team of the decade, based on regular season results. That obviously tells a different story. Maybe when you get into finals, or they would have been the most, and it would have converted the most knockout, uh, certainly over the highest percentage of knockout wins. I would have thought across yeah. across the decade. But well, you uni, uni the club of two teams in a season, somewhat for a long time. You know, mm. it, it, once Super Rugby commitments are finished, it becomes the beast, um, which has pretty much you know been the case for a long time. Which probably explains, you know, there's always feeling around the other shoot shield clubs of that early season vulnerability maybe and then you know they'll kick later on but um i think under taylor he's pretty much crushed that they've been good from the get-go and won minor premierships lately but that's probably you know that from early 20s to sort of mid mid 20 2015 there it, it you know they, they just really picked up momentum although at the moment you look at them right now they've got a lot of a lot of players in, in the waratahs so that they'll definitely you'd think be very very strong come the pointy end again this year, but obviously, university do their damage when it counts with with five premierships. But um, clearly, a very consistent side in season as well, finishing third. So and well, sixteen straight club championships. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah which is that's incredible. To, yeah, but the interesting thing was those years where they were winning titles. Quite often, they weren't minor premiers. I think they were minor premiers in two thousand nine. And they didn't get yeah. a minor premiership for seven years. 2018, they win? 2018? 2018. They, had, they hadn't got one for seven years until 2016. So yeah. quite often they, they'd have enough during the season to finish third or fourth. But then oh, you yeah. had such a, a stellar I didn't, amount of talent I didn't mention coming back in. Because of the production on a talent every year, they've got a certain amount of talent going out to Super Rugby. You know, guys now, with the, a lot of guys with the Rebels, you've got Guys like Guy yep. Porter with the Brumbies and Harry Potter with the Rebels, oh. etc. So it's, it's you look at their team of the decade that Shoot Shield put up recently. It's the amount of talent in the notable mentions, like, like Jesus, like half the Wallaby you could team, have three or four. incredible <laughs> amount of players. You know, Beric Barnes and um, Bernard Foley at five eight. Then you've got you know Phipps and Gordon, and just kept going on and on and on. And yeah, incredible, incredible club. And you know, been highly, highly successful for for a couple of decades now. So, yeah. Okay, and this one's going to hurt. This one's going to hurt. Okay, second, Manly. Uh, Cut me open. One hundred and thirty-five wins from one hundred and eighty-five games. Jesus. Which is no mean feat. Staggering. 
Um, but one final appearance, two two minor premierships in fourteen and fifteen, one grand final appearance in fifteen, where they only lost to a Jayub uh, field goal from memory, and it was a very tight, tense game. It was um, a very tight game. I was highly highly inebriated by that stage because so I had won the fourth grade grand final <laughs> that in the must morning have been the and I said I spoke to you, was it? Okay. That was, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I said I wouldn't I wouldn't drink because I wanted to watch, you know, first grade I did have my brother playing that day and I'd, you know, sit with the family. But no, I was on the fourth grade hill blind. Anyway, you just gotta do what you gotta do. But it was a uh, hard day to watch. That so was it no tries in that grand final. And yeah, it was one for the purists. Uh, I remember uh, David Begg, who was then Manly president, texting me thing we're looking good but I thought we always needed a try in that first half and yeah Ayub just just sunk us I think Sam Lane had a, a late field goal attempt but looking at Manly the decade I think Manly was a team that was starting to get their act together off the field in about 2010 with um, strong sort of you know um, leadership on the board level and then ter- terrific coaching um, obviously Phil Blake played a big part in that in that mm. period um, and obviously then, then Turtle and Timmy Lane Phil in between. Blake, Lane, Turtle, yeah. Phil Blake, Tim Lane, Phil Blake, Turtle, I think. So, yeah, great coaching, great players. Um, I think when we snared Ed Gower early 2010s is probably the, the best signing we made all decade mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. Ed was just such a dependable player and gave us that edge. We had a huge pack in the 2010s to about the 2014s yeah. um, and just consistently won, particularly at Manly Oval. It was a hard place for a lot of teams to come. And... Um, yeah, it was uh, a shame we didn't win any silverware. I actually look at 2014 as the year that we were maybe more likely to do it. I think it was just a stronger side um, than 2015. Even though 2015 went remarkably close. I mean, they made the grand final, but I just felt that side was just dominant all season. And then Eastwood came to Manly Oval and did the classic Eastwood on Manly Oval and just absolutely just crushed us, crushed our hopes and dreams at Manly Oval um, again. And they did that again in 2017, which was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, 2018, I, just, I know, it was 2017 was when, was that Billy's first season? You won 14 out of yeah. 18 and got the minor premiership. And it's just... We did. I think you were... It's my first year as president, hit. actually. Oh, yeah, we that, were. Is that, is we that, were. Is that why? Okay. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> just a happy coincidence, No, definitely right? not. No, I think... I think that's that sort of stuff doesn't pay off for years later and we bombed out, so okay, uh, nothing right. to do with me, mate. Nothing but to do I remember with me, halfway but, uh, through, Manly was streets ahead and then as the season, as they got to the finishing line, bodies were dropping left, right and centre. By the time you played in the finals, like I think Billy, poor Billy was tearing his hair out because he had about half a team missing. Yeah, probably, probably didn't have a deep enough squad 2017, but yeah, um, yeah we were streaks ahead and it was difficult trying to keep that run going and then, you know, we had a couple of derbies. I think we had three derbies that used to play the Rats, but we were just um, limping coming into the finals. That's why I sort of think 2014 were so fresh, injury-free, ready to do it. But anyway, it didn't happen for the Marlins, and uh, it, it the search goes on. But and it, just playing devil's advocate, what, why do you put your finger off? For, for a club to be that consistent, obviously doing a lot of things mm-hmm. right, to be that consistent yeah. over a decade, what is there any specific reason why you just couldn't get that one one step further? Uh, from the inside as a hard player to answer. I mean, uh, historically, um, Manly doesn't win titles of that regular. I have a theory that, um, and this is going to come off a little bit arrogant probably, but it's such a great place to live. There's a lot of distractions. There's beaches, there's, there's bars, there's, Stone. you know, just stuff going on. So 
you know, you go to clubs. I feel like you go to clubs. I'm not saying there's other things going on in other people's clubs. Of course there are, but I just feel like um, rugby is a sole focus for a lot of clubs to get their footy and that's it. But Manly's a cultural melting pot and it's great and it's like good fun. I mean, winning hasn't been our probably being the winner has. It'll come, but it, it just it takes – they're not, they're not easy to win. I mean, I think if everyone knew the answer, you'd win the comp every year. But, you know, Norse ring of breaking big droughts. But, yeah, I think you're right. There was clearly – Good investment in the side, um, good players coming through the club. It just couldn't get it done. Was 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 a probably hard to take that decade. But you know, look, it's got to move on and 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 hope it comes. But yeah, I don't think there's anything glaringly obvious. It's not like anything trying to not win it. But it's uh, yeah, it is hard to read that table and and not quite you know breaking the ice and yeah. maybe win one or one or two would be one nice. But just one, <laughs> just <Yeah>. one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. we. Uh, which Life leaves you all the, all the more jealous when you look at who finished topped. When everyone's done yeah. the, the math by now, it would be Eastwood. Um, yep. You just have to tip your hat off. I mean, certainly dominant, hugely dominant in the first half of the decade. 141 wins out of 185 regular season games. Just 40 losses. So they averaged four losses per season for 10 years. Mm. Um, they reached oh, they were minor premiers four years in a row. They reached four grand finals and won three. Um, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal record. Eastwood certainly, the first half of this decade, were the dominant side. Yeah, amazing club, um, great culture and great leadership, especially that early period. Um, you know, players like Hugh Perrett, um, Roach, uh, Batcher, you know, Jai Ayub, obviously. Um, Tom Hill. Yeah, Pierre, Ho- Pierre Holloway or Tom Hill, yeah. McDougal. Just so consistent for so long. I mean, Going to Milner is, I think, one of the great, you know, experiences as a rugby club rugby fan. I love sitting in that grandstand. It's one of the only grounds you sit and you you feel the intensity in the game because you are close to players. You you can almost feel the sweat and the, and the chat. And you know, when Eastwood have got their tail up at Milner and they got a parochial crowd, it's it's an awesome place to go. And they just they, you, when they got their tails up, they're very very hard to stop. And yeah, they've they've achieved so much success and. You know, good on them for doing so. I think, you know, it's hard to. I think everyone looks up to university, and, and we all have for, for that reason for being such a such a good culture. And but we also look at clubs like Eastwood and try and work out what that magic formula is. Although Eastwood's it's sort of hard to work out why it's so good. I've asked Pappy a few times, but yeah, pretty pretty sort of coy on on secrecy there. But you know, they're another club that are probably now searching for a bit more of that success. I mean, they've been in and around um, the finals. Probably they haven't made the grand finals since 2015. They haven't made the finals since 2015, yeah. yeah. No, they've but been they've been close. I mean, I guess it's hard to stay consistent. Um, the, the volatility in Colts at the moment is very difficult. When you lose players, it's it's hard to rebuild. It takes time, and you've got to identify the right players that, that are going to take you through. And it's just rugby at the moment, obviously, participation sort of, you know, it's a little bit difficult. We're not quite in the swashbuckling days, so there's a bit more instability in every club somewhat. But, um, yeah, Eastwood for that for that decade, just awesome. Well, the awesome. common denominator there, of course, John Manetti, because as soon as he took over halfway yeah. through 2010 when Brian Melrose went off to Ireland, uh, his yeah. win percentage is off the roof. It's, uh, so he's got mm. four minor premiers, four minor premiers, three grand finals in that time. Yep. Uh, and now he's doing great yep. things with the – the girls, the Aussie Sevens, but I mean, clearly a fantastic coach to put a program in place with, at the time, was was relatively no-name bunch of players each year um, and just a, a tough place to play. Tough place to have a consistent, good culture, um, clearly a, 
a fantastic coach. Yeah, so that's that's the table, hey? That was quick. <laughs> that was quick. Quicker than I thought. Just want to make a mention about the late, great Jeff Sale. Um, Saley was an incredible club rugby guy, probably the greatest club man that ever lived, really. What he did at Roundwick as a coach, general manager, God, I think he had every job at the club, player, cleaner. Um, I know how much of an impact he had on a lot of people in club rugby, and there will never be another Jeff Sale. I think that it was really the end of an era um, for that kind of person, someone that's regurgitated out of the rugby club and hanging around the old licensed clubs, and uh, he had an incredible personality, and I think anyone that ever spent any time with Jeff, I was fortunate to have a couple of times sitting with Jeff at Ramick and, and Manly when we played games. You always talked to me like you were your best friends, and I think he had that effect on everyone. So uh, it was a, a, a terrible loss for the club rugby community. I think a part of Shoot Shield died when Jeff died this year, but uh, going to that um, funeral this year was just incredible and the the the, the amazing spirit that was shown through uh, the turnout from, you know, not just the Roundwick Club, but, you know, all people of society, it, you know, it makes you think about how strong this competition has been in in in, in the sporting landscape in the country, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was special to 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 be a part of that. But uh, he will be missed greatly. Vale, Jeff Sale. Well, that brings an end to part one of episode one, our decade in review. Stay tuned for our next show as we finish off the decade that was. We're going to be talking through some really interesting topics. We're going to get into some categories, talking about some of the players of the decade, coaches of the decade. We're going to try and select our team of the decade as if we can uh, agree to disagree on so many hotly contested positions. So uh, looking forward to continuing on this trend. And uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.